Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and And Mayu. What's going on, everybody? Austin, you were staring at me for a while. So I was like, is he expecting me to do this intro? But what are you been up to, man? I'm just staring you down now. I'm just giving you more eye contact. <laughs> Cut eye. Um, no, things have been uh, things have been hectic as per usual on the wholesaling side. I always like to go into detail. I don't go into detail on the fires, but I- I'll be very general there are times in wholesaling, and I'm sure any wholesaler can relate who's done a number of deals where you're going to have a seller want to pull out of a deal, right? Uh, and they can't legally do so, but they don't have much to lose, which is why they were selling their house in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then now it's an interesting game of managing the dynamics of the seller, the seller's lawyer. Um, and my, I'm sure you probably, I don't know if this has happened to you before, but I assume so that sometimes yeah. the seller's lawyer will go MIA until yeah. like the last day. Has 100%. that happened? Yep. Yeah. And yeah. you can imagine how much more frequently it happens to us. Right. Um, and then on the buyer side, the assignee managing their expectations, updating them on what's going on, because ultimately it's their deal. They've already incurred lawyer fees. Right. So it's like, what do we do here? Um, and what can we do to get the deal closed? Um, without any lawsuits going around. And it happens on, a, on I wouldn't say quite frequently. It's not every deal. No, definitely not. But I would say I deal with it probably once a month or once every two months. And What's those, the solution then? Like when it happened to me, I was kind of like, well, I guess I can't buy this deal. Like, well, okay, I'm not really going to start suing the, suing the person that was supposed to sell me the property, right? And it's like, am I really going to sink 10, 20 grand into suing them for an uncertainty? Like, Yeah, it's a negotiation ultimately with the seller. and. It, that's what it comes down to. It's how you phrase things because the outcome is, is that you want them to close the property, but you can't force them to do it. So you try to guide them towards that direction. So we'll say things like, hey, look, I'm hoping we can work things out directly with you. We prefer not to have the communication not go through the lawyers because I didn't like as you might or might not know when lawyers communicate, they use very harsh and threatening language even though that's not what I'm telling my lawyer, right? And I understand why they're doing that is because they're trying to protect my interests. Likewise, your lawyer is trying to protect your interests. So they use harsh language. I think it's better for everyone that we just work things out ourselves, right? So can you tell me what's going on? And then here are the reasoning, whatever. See if you can find some alternative solution. So this is a property that this, it was supposed to be vacant. I think I might've talked about it already. It was supposed to be vacant possession, Tenant wasn't leaving, so we paid the tenant to find an Airbnb and moving cost as well. So yeah. you either try to figure out an alternative solution, find other limiting accommodations, right? It's like they're like, I have no place to move to. Let me pay for your first and last month's rent, connect you with this property manager who can help you along the way, or I can put you in an Airbnb for X amount of days as you continue your search. Or that's fine. Let's extend your closing a month. I can try to work it out with my partner to see if he's willing to extend it. He or she is willing to extend it a month as well. It's just your verbiage on how you right. use it. And you can never come off as being threatening or empowered. I'm not going to say never. There are situations where, yes, you might have to do that because like, that's the only thing to get it across their head. Right. 
Right. But a lot of the times you try to come from a place of understanding and a place of look, like, let's make this thing work. Um, Cause I have a lot of money in the line as well. I'm going to be losing a ton of money. We're both not in a good situation. I don't want to sue you. You don't want to sue me. Like, let's get this thing just figured out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and most of the time it works, but you can never guarantee that working because every seller is different. So the approach, your verbiage or the things you say or what exactly you say is going to differ from time to time. But it is such an art and it's just stressful art because you have that kind of butterfly feeling of, OK, what's the response going to be? Because you're uncertain on what the outcome is. And there's never yeah. a time where you feel like, OK, this deal is going to happen. You're like, mm, there's still a possibility it might not. Yep. There's very rarely like very smooth deals where like there's no hiccups on financing. There's no hiccups on closing. Like, you know, there's always hiccups along the way. I guess it's just part of the process, right? Um, what's happening with your flip? Do you guys end up selling that? Yeah. So right now we're in the process of getting the refi started on it. We're okay. holding off until we get the price we exactly want, right? Which is actually lower than the appraisal value by quite a bit. So if you guys are looking for a primary residence up in Dundas that appraised for 1.1 million, and you'll get it for less than a million, then hit me up. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I guess like it's, it's been a blessing and a curse because we know what the appraisal value is. So we're willing to walk away with something 100K less than the appraisal value. But there's a part of us where it's like, maybe it will sell for the appraisal value. But at the same time, we're running on private money too, right? So right. We're, 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 it's still on the market. We're going to give it another week, two weeks. And if it doesn't sell, we'll go through the refi process, Airbnb a bit, and then try to relist it sometime in the spring and see if that will make a difference. And we've also gotten some feedback as well, because we always try to get feedback from potential buyers on what they didn't like about the property. So we might go back and, and make those changes and have it relisted in the spring. Oh, shit. So you guys are actually going to double down on it really more than anything, right? Like, especially if you're investing in Airbnb, though, like that, like just to furnish your house, probably going to cost you guys, what, like almost like 10 grand? Five to 10, somewhere in that ballpark? Yeah, it'd probably be in the ballpark of five to 10 just because of the size of the place. But yeah, uh, frugal, we're going to go frugal shopping. For sure. Shop. <laughs> How's everything with you? Uh, it's going good, man. It's going good. I've got, um, we're, we're going on vacation next Friday to the 29th. So I'm really just trying to wrap up as many kind of like of my mortgage files as I can before then because I really don't want to work too much when I'm on vacation, but I'm sure I will be. Um, and then I've also got, a flip sale and a flip buy that's happening while I'm on vacation. So I got to make sure we wrap up all that like early next week. And that's a Chelsea flip, right? A Chelsea. Chelsea, flip, Chelsea flip sale is happening on the 19th and then the buy is happening on the 22nd. So the Monday. So I'll be out of town for both, but I think we should be able to wrap both all the signings and like all that kind of stuff. And it's just money nice. moving from one to the other. So I just got to have emergency funds set aside in the lawyer's account and we'll be fine. Everything always happens at the last hour in real estate, eh? That's what I'm really <laughs> concerned because I'm, I'm legit going to be on a flight in uh, the last couple hours, like when the stuff's supposed to close. So it's not like I'm going to be accessible, but we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be fine. Not fun. Not fun. Yeah. Um, we'll jump into today's episode. In today's episode, we have Garrett and Jesse from Calvert Mortgages. I'm sure if you guys have been in real estate for any amount of time, you've probably heard of Calvert Mortgages already, especially if you're a flipper or burr investor. So Calvert Mortgages have been in the business for 40 plus years, starting off with providing um, private funds to investors in Alberta and recently expanded into Ontario over um, the past year. And I, I'm see, like, I know my personal clients who have been funded by them. I'm sure my, you funded a fair amount of deals with Calvert, sure. but yeah. they're really making it super accessible and easier for 
uh, investors to be able to take advantage of off-market deals with quick closing. So we get into the history of Calvert, the pros and cons of private mortgages, what exactly Calvert does, how you can get into investment properties with low or no money down, and a bunch of other topics that if you're looking to break into real estate and you don't have a ton of money, like you definitely need to listen to this episode because we get into all of those topics. So make sure to tune in. And last thing before we jump into the episode, shameless plug here, is, is if you use the code Ontario Property Deals um, when using Calvert Mortgages, you'll get $500 off your lender fee. So again, that code is Ontario Property Deals. Enough with that shameless plug. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We are joined with Garrett and Jesse today from Calvert Mortgages. How are you guys doing today? Great, thanks. Doing great. Awesome, guys. So awesome, just like rush through that intro a little bit. But um, so you guys are from Calvert. So you guys are out in Alberta right now, right? You bet. We are awesome. in, we are based out of Calgary, Alberta, um, lending throughout Alberta and Ontario. Okay, cool. And, and so I guess a lot of our guests, like um, new aspiring investors or even investors that like have a sizable portfolio, um, they just might not be sure like who, who is Calvert? Like, what do you guys do? Um, what's your entire like strategy within the real estate market? Cause you guys provide a pretty valuable solution, the private lending space, but, um, I'll let you speak to that. Yeah. So we're a mortgage investment company. Uh, we have a fund of about 215 million right now. Uh, and about 60% of our book is made up of, uh, of flip financing and burr financing, uh, throughout Alberta and Ontario. Um, we're focusing on short-term lending. We're all about speed and uh, building on relationships that uh, that we can form with great real estate investors. Yeah, that's that's basically it. Our goal is to provide an effortless experience for the success of others. And really, our main focus at this point in time is working with people that are flipping and burring houses, uh, residential, four units and under, in urban centers throughout. Alberta and Ontario. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I just think it's, you, you guys are really like the first like private lenders, like people that purely do private lending. And so I think a lot of people that go through the real estate, like different channels, you start off burning, you start off flipping. Right. And then everyone always hears about private lending, the rates of return stuff like that. And it's a great end goal. So I'm just curious, like, can you tell us a little bit more about like how the private lending side works for anyone that's you know looking to get into it? So that could be your underwriting, um, how you guys go about finding people, stuff like that. Sounds good. So maybe I'll start off with kind of the private lending landscape. Over the last, especially 10 years, it's become a lot more formalized in that there's these mortgage investment corporations, which we are one, that have that have gained a lot of traction and become a bigger presence in the lending space. So these private lenders, uh, a lot of them now have almost become a B lender where they're offering very low competitive rates, but they are very boxed in in terms of what they lend on. Um, you know, they want to lend single family at lower loan to values for longer periods of time. And they're mostly catering to business for self and new to Canada who are who should be bankable, but don't quite qualify uh, because of, of the nuances of um, being new to Canada or being self-employed. We're a bit different in that we don't want to do long-term lending. We want to lend for a short period of time. We want to fix uh, a, pr a problem or create a solution. 
So that's where we've stepped in and said, wow, these, this real estate investor community is very underserved by MIC lenders. They're well served by private individual lenders, uh, whether they be one-off high net worth people or syndicated lenders. But what we've seen is those lenders are not, they can't offer consistency. They may not always have the money. Their pricing is subject to change. They may take a long time to make a lending decision. So with what we do, where we have a consistent program, we have access to capital, and we have an amazing team of underwriters and support staff that is always there to service the client. We found that it, it, it is really attractive to that real estate investor community, and that's where we're at play. So there's, there's large mix that are doing the bulk of lending, um, and then there's small one-off individuals that are doing their own. Usually those one-off individuals, and we recommend those one-off individuals should be very versed in real estate to be doing that because it is quite, there are inherent risks. Um, if the market turns, or even if, if they're lending on something where they don't quite understand the value and they may get into a deal where they could be underwater from day one, because every appraisal is not the same and approach mm. to value is not the same. Uh, things are are sometimes very subjective. So it really helps when you are in the business of real estate and you understand real estate fundamentals and valuations in order to get into private lending. And that's where Calvert really excels is that we're unique. We can act with speed because we're doing our own valuations. We're the only lender we're aware of um, from the mix space that is doing our own values. We, we employ um, uh, candidate appraisers. We're hiring a uh, an AACI appraiser very shortly. Um, and we do those valuations in-house. And we do that because we believe that that underlying asset at the end of the day is um, our, our key to the risk we're taking. So we're able to de-risk ourselves from really understanding that, but also offer amazing service and turning deals around in a day or so in real time because we don't need to send a third party out there and then analyze that third party's report. We do that for our clients, for our customers in real time. As you know, in Ontario, that's as important as anything. Yeah. Speed. speed. Uh, yep. Things are selling so fast and moving so quickly that we need to operate with speed. And we understand that. We deal with real estate investors all the time. So it's what we do. I love that. Yeah. Coming from the off-market space as a wholesaler, some of the best deals are within a week, two, three weeks closing, which a lot of the traditional lenders can't do. And a lot of private lenders might not feel comfortable funding at that speed, right? They still needed, or as you were saying, they still needed to order an appraiser, go out there, and that could take a week's long process or two weeks or three weeks long just to get the appraiser out there. Um, for those of the audience who don't know, uh, Calvert Mortgage has actually funded a couple of our wholesale deals before for some of our clients who purchased it. And you guys were actually able to turn it around, like turn around lending within four days or sometimes even less than that. And I was wondering what due diligence process you guys go through, because you do mention the numbers and analyzing the deal as part of the due diligence process that you guys do. Can you walk us through, like, how are you able to fund so quickly? Like, what are the numbers you're looking at to decide whether you want to fund a deal or not? Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know what? One of the biggest things that sets us apart is that we really like to do pre-approvals on a personal basis. So we love to get people's personal information on file right away so that we can act even quicker. So that means application, credit, and most recent notice of assessment. So we get that information on file 
And then going forward, we're really just looking at the property. We're making sure that they're going to be profitable or we think they're going to be profitable on each deal uh, by doing our in-house value. Uh, and then we're just uh, making sure that they have the funds as well to do the project. So that means they need to have money to do the renovations, money for the down payment and money for the carrying costs. If we see all that, we're typically good to go. Um, we're not big on uh, personal information. Like, yeah, we're going to look at your credit. If it's under a certain score or under 600, we're maybe going to ask some more questions. Um, if we're looking at the NOA, we're really just looking for character as well, that they're filing taxes and paying their taxes. But other than that, we're really looking at the project, making sure that they're profitable. We don't want to proceed on a project that we don't think they're going to make money on. Yeah, that's all. Basically, we look at it. Is our client going to be profitable? So we run the numbers. We look at the budget. We analyze all the variable costs. And then we look at the ARV and say, is there profit margin in there? And that's something unique too, um, gentlemen, is that our appraisers are very comfortable looking at a budget, looking at a current purchase price and coming up with an ARV. Not many appraisers out there will even, when they see a purchase price from a wholesaler, right away, they're trained to go, how do I figure out how to make my adjustments be what the wholesale purchase price is? Whereas we're doing literally hundreds of these a month, our appraisers are, and very much understand within a, a very small range what the after repaired value is going to be for the client. So it all comes down to our client's success. We get a lot of opportunities that we look at where Calvert's going to be make money. Calvert's not really at risk, but our clients are, are either going to lose or the, the profit margin is going to be very small. We don't want that business. We want to educate them on here's how to do a better deal. Here's why you should take a better deal because we want to do not one deal with you. We want to do hundreds of deals with you. And when you're losing money, it's, it's, we're decreasing the likelihood that we're going to get to do great volume with our borrowers. Who's going to want to come back to us if they're losing 40 grand on a deal? So exactly. we better analyze it well. And the way that we do that is we have a flip analyzer that we've created. Um, it's pretty much just a big Excel spreadsheet with most of it being automated and inputting all the numbers that we have for the flip, like your budget, um, how long it's going to take, what the ARV is, everything like that. And we're more than happy to provide it to you. You can send it out to your list of people that you know, and it's a great tool to use when analyzing a flip. Yeah, we definitely it's, find a way to drop that in the show notes. And like Austin said, I think you guys move super fast. I think my fastest closing day was like three days. And like you guys funded that one for me, like a day and lawyers at like two days. So that's awesome. But I think, you know, when you're moving that fast and you guys really came into Ontario, like pretty strong, right? Like you guys came in with that 20K down payment minimum. And at that, like it's still pretty like groundbreaking. I don't think anyone else really does that, right? Um, and you guys came into Ontario really strong. But I'm just curious, like, because you, you, you'd be taking a lot of risk, right? When you offer someone, hey, put minimum 20K down payment, as a private lender, you guys are taking risks. And, and for people that do this on an individual basis, like what's the, because I've, I've done a bunch of private loans. I've never had anything default. Thank you. Like luckily, right. But um, what's the process if someone does default? Like, what do you guys do? How long does it take? And so in default, let's, let's more focus on the real estate investor community in, in, okay. in default. So what's great. And what we're seeing is, is we're only lending when the 
when the client's buying right, right? So right away, they have some baked in equity, which in turn decreases their risk. So most of our deals, when they default, they simply run out of capital and we will work with them. So as long as there's a plan and they're communicating with us, like ideally they run out of capital when the project's done and then it's listed for sale. And there's a lot of, you know, let's say our loan is 400 grand and they're listing for 550. Guess what? We're, we're just going to say, okay, we're going to follow the listing and work with you and maybe follow up every two weeks and say, where are you at? How many showings have you had? Oh, you might want to decrease the, the value. So that's, that's an easy workout where they simply sell the property and we work with them. A more difficult scenario is when they run out of capital mid-build mm-hmm. or mid-construction, mid-flip. Right. And that's a lot harder for us to work with because then we may be advancing further funds. Um, luckily, we work with a lot of great brokers who can maybe find some additional funds. Luckily, we work with a lot of great groups like your guys' network where, hey, there may be a JV partner that could come in mid-build, take a piece of the action, give them some money. Where we really see um, disaster is when the client simply walks away from the property. And luckily, we very rarely see that because again, the client's buying right and there's money, there's profit built in for them. So they're very motivated and incentivized to finish the project. Where we see those instances is like where a, a major life event happened, right? Like, like there's, there's mental illness, there's substance abuse. We see that because we're doing literally hundreds and hundreds of deals a year. You're going to see that stuff. Where we've also seen risk come up is we love to see our clients mature into volume producers, but the, that maturation process can sometimes they can get ahead of themselves and spread themselves too thin. So now, yeah, you're great at doing one project at a time and running one crew. Two, okay, you're good at and all of a sudden you go to six and you're spread too thin. Um, your, your, your trades are buggering off on you. Uh, your one house doesn't sell in time. Your cash flow is tight. That's where we see real risk. But what we do is we work, Garrett, I, Rob, Sherwin, all of our underwriters work very closely with our bowlers to walk them through. Hey, have you thought of this? Asking those questions, setting them up for success. But at the end of the day, we do our best to work with our clients through it. And as long as they're communicating with us and there's a plan in place, we can usually see a successful exit where nobody loses. It's when the client completely abandons the project, abandons us is where we run into issues. But again, we know, we know a ton of great flippers. We know a ton of great Burr clients. We have an awesome network of brokers, JVs, um, uh, real estate experts like yourselves, where we could say, hey, here's a project. Does anybody want to take it off our hands? Or we take back financing. Does anybody want to finish it for us? So that network really reduces our risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll add, I'll add a couple of things to that. Um, as Jesse mentioned, the client relation portion, we're so big on getting in contact with their clients, having a borrower interview, having a discussion with them face-to-face. They get, they get to know their lender. We get to know them a little better. Um, and we try not to foreclose. That's the last thing we want to do. Uh, we want to be able to work with them as much as possible. But what you'd be surprised with is how low our default rate is on these flips. Like you say, we're taking a lot of risk. And yes, you could you could look at it at that perspective with only 20 grand down. But 
We do so much due diligence up front with how much money they have available. It doesn't have to be through um, through cash or or just uh, bank statements or anything like that. It can be through lines of credit, can be through credit cards, JV partner. We just make sure they have the cash and we make sure they have the cash to have the carrying cost as well. So the only, a lot of the time, the only time that they're going to be not making their payments is when their budget goes over or like Jesse said, something crazy happens in their life uh, that they couldn't foresee from the beginning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think from an investor point of view, the last thing you want to do is default on a lender. You'd always rather lose money than default on the lender. So I totally understand why the ratio is so low. My um, sorry, you're going to add something yeah. on there. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think we think like that. I think a lot of investors, which you guys lend to as well, hopefully think like that as well, right? Where the the one transaction isn't what's more important, it's more so the relationship, right? Um, but I, I'm more so like, I'm, I guess I'm wondering if you were, even if it's not specifically you guys, just understand the process of a private loan here. If someone was to default, how long does it take to get foreclosure? Um, is that an expensive process? Is it like, if you do like a 40K loan, is it maybe not even worth it to like, foreclosed you know or what is it always yeah it's on a case by case basis it really mm-hmm. is like we're not right now we're not strict on hey if you go two payments in arrears we foreclose on you um it's more so are you communicating with us uh consistently and letting us know where you're at uh maybe they're done their project and it's listed for sale and for some reason it's just not selling at this time uh and they say hey can you hold off on payments or can you give me more money uh just for the short term, something like that. But there's no hard off, like you go two payments in arrears, we're foreclosing. Right. Uh, it's more so how much are you communicating with us? Um, where's the current state of the property at? Like, can you send us pictures? Are you done your renovation? Uh, stuff like that. Um, we try and work with our clients as much as we can. We don't want to yeah. foreclose. That's the last thing we want to do, but we will if we have to. Uh, if you're not communicating with us, if you can't make payments, we will do it, um, but it's different on every case. And then in the event, Mayu, I think you were asking about how long does the foreclosure process take? So uh, luckily, we're not experts in foreclosures as it relates to Ontario. Okay. Um, it, it will happen, right? Like we're out there lending money and taking risk. So it will happen where we have a board, we're with a life event and we got to take action. Uh, I'll speak to Alberta with foreclosure. Um, it can take as little as two months hmm. from the time you start the action to the time time the lender owns the property. That is only in the event where the lender is going to lose money. So you provide a statement of claim, you outline to the courts, here's exactly where we stand, here's what the house is worth, and we're underwater, then the courts will move quick. But if we have equity, which we usually do, the judge gives the borrowers up to six months where we got to just sit on our hands, then we get to list the property. So in Alberta, the process is a lot longer as we know it to be in Ontario. In Ontario, I think it's about from start to finish three months. I think always it's around in both Alberta and Ontario, the total cost of the borrower. And by the way, the borrower incurs this cost. So it's approximately $10,000 for a residential property, right? When, once you get into Multi, multi units, once you get into cross collateralized, going after personal guarantees and default stuff like that, prices escalate. But the way that we look at it is usually we do take personal guarantees 
But in most instances, if they're in default and, and we're losing money, they've usually moved everything around where there's little to go after. We can make their life miserable by, you know, uh, 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 putting notices on credit bureaus, uh, putting notices through the PPSA system that they've that we have lost money with them. But for the most part, um, us as lenders, we are our our risk is associated with the property only. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's move to a more positive note. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just, that was just educational. I think I, hopefully yeah. I guess get some good value out of that one. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, people need to know the downside risk of it too. Hopefully it totally. doesn't happen to any of our listeners. Uh, but if it does, now you know. <laughs> um, it seems like you guys are very experienced on the numbers point of view, um, on lending, so on and so forth. I want to know your personal experience with investing itself. So do you guys own a portfolio? Have you completed flips yourself? I personally basically fully invested in our fund. So I enjoy investing in real estate through uh, through a more passive means, um, which is investing in our mortgage investment corporation and watching that investment instrument compound itself less hands-on. Uh, the reason I do that is I put in 60, 65, 70 hours a week here. I know what we're doing inside and out. I know our clients inside and out. So I am most comfortable having my capital here. Um, It is very tempting to partner, but in order to be successful in this, as you guys know, you got to be all in. You got to know the numbers. You got to understand what you're doing. You got to know the contract. You got to know your partners. So I just simply do not have the time to, or I shouldn't say the, the, the time value of it doesn't make sense for my particular circumstances. We hire a number of people who are real estate, active real estate investors and own a portfolio, are burrowing and creating rentals. Um, two of my partners, uh, they own rentals. Uh, my wife and I do invest in other real estate, uh, vacation property, and we use it as a rental as well. But uh, we're not actively using the flip and burr strategy. It's also a bit of a conflict too, right? Like I don't, I don't really want to take the flip and burr opportunities from my clients. I'd rather say, hey, Joe, a AAA client, here's an opportunity I've noticed. Are you interested in it? That kind of stuff. So that's that's my perspective as it relates to uh, my portfolio. So I'm, I'm mostly, my investment dollars are in Calvert, which I know inside and out, and then some, some equities and some real estate. Also, because we're, we're investors in Calvert, we can't borrow from Calvert. So where are we going to get the money? <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot of sense from Calvert, but no like i'm the same as jesse uh mostly passive um we could potentially do jv stuff but but you need a team like jesse said like it's so important to have those relationships uh with your realtor with a jv partner with contractors with a mortgage broker all these people um to be able to make a deal work and we put in so many hours at this office that uh, it's just not worth it for us to go through that. We'd rather just be experts internally and help out our clients as much as possible. Yeah, that's perfect. We'd rather kick ass for our clients and give them the opportunities <laughs> and earn some money in return for that than uh, roll up our sleeves and compete with them. So I, I'm curious because you guys see a lot of flips come through your pipeline, right? Like what are, and I know you guys underwrite them, but what are some of like the common mistakes that you guys see people make? Like, I'm just curious, like, because you guys have probably seen way more flips than I, either myself or Austin, just from a funding perspective, right? 
Um, is it like hundreds just, a month? Yeah. Is it just, they don't have enough capital. They're overestimating Airbnb. Like what, what's like the common themes that you guys see? Yeah. I would say the most common, um, would be maybe over leveraged is what I've seen. Mm. Um, part they of, don't really like have a plan or like they're going into like deep. Into yeah. You know credit. what? Like part of the reason why our offer with the 20 grand down is so, so nice for people is they can do multiple projects at a time. Um, right. because they're putting so much, so little down payment in that they can do multiple at once. But the problem is sometimes that overextends them. Um, you got to think you got to fund all these projects at once in order to do that. I got I need this much capital, which our flip analyzer goes through, but then you got to think about the three or four projects that you have on the go and make sure you can do all those. Yep. Renovations are sometimes even more than a down payment and everything else, right? Like you're doing mm-hmm. like a full gut reno. So a lot sure. of the time. Yeah. And then another thing, another common theme we see is having too much reliance on others and not understanding your plan intimately yourself. So, okay, you got an opportunity from a realtor. You haven't run the comparables. And then you've got a quote from a contractor. You haven't quoted out two or three times. Like you just, you're just going in blind and not taking really that entrepreneurial ownership that is necessary to be successful. You might get lucky one or two times, but you really have to know your business. And when you're relying on others, um, a lot of times, well, it's just human nature. We're all self-motivated, right? So I'm not going to look after uh, Garrett as well as I'm going to look after myself in a lot of instances. So the realtor, they may not be motivated to say, oh, this is a little slim or you know, I'm, I'm really bullish on these comparables rather than being more realistic on the comparables. Uh, your contractor you know, your first quote may be cost plus 40% because the market's uh, tough to, to find people where if you find, you know, uh, you might find the next guy at cost plus 20%. So it's really about taking that entrepreneurial ownership and knowing your business. Those are the most successful flippers that we see that they know their numbers inside and out. They know how to run their comps. They know how to, yeah, they have a great team of realtors, contractors, but they know how to audit and verify those numbers themselves. That's totally true. Cause I mean, as a business owner, you start relying on your team so much and start focusing on scaling that you start forgetting all of the little details. And these little details can make and break your business. And as a flipper who does like seven, eight projects on the go, let's say you're a newer investor. I don't think people realize that all of your expenses are front loaded for six projects. All of your revenue is recognized six months later on average, yeah. if your flip takes like four <laughs> or five months or whatever. Um, so you are literally paying out of pocket for six renovations and realizing the revenue half a year later. So, and that could get you into trouble, right? Like all of these flips could be profitable, but because you put yourself, as you say, in an over leveraged position, not enough capital liquidity to go through these flips, um, then you put yourself at risk. And if one goes wrong, it could lead to a domino effect. Because I yeah. know um, Mayu can speak to the good that Mayu has. So Mayu has cash reserves. So he sometimes buys properties in cash. Sometimes he raises money for it, right? But Mayu never relies on having one flip to be able to get the other flip done. Because like in our preamble, we we're just talking about one of his flips got delayed in closing or whatever, had some troubles there. But he still had a backup plan to get his next flip going. Whereas a lot of investors, if that one flip doesn't go right, boom, 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 boom. All the it's other domino. ones start yeah. like dominoing down. Yeah, I, I thought that's just an important point to mention up. And I love that you bring it up because too many people are focused on scaling 
before getting their business actually up and running and thinking through all of the risk scenarios. Absolutely. And uh, as I mentioned before, we do a bore interview on every single one that we do. So we like to talk with our, our real estate investors. And the, my favorite thing to hear from them is I'm being conservative with my budget and my, my timeline. Um, like it's like, I know it could cost 40 grand and I can push it lower, but I'm just putting it at 60 because I could go cough cost overrun stuff like that. And then as well as timelines, like people are like, Oh, I, I think I could do this within the next month to do the renovation. But there's so many delays right now with materials and different things that it's usually taking longer. So I love hearing when they're budgeting a little longer, especially if they're trying to scale. So if they're doing multiple projects at a time, you got to know something might go wrong in a flip that you're not expecting going forward. Yeah. And that's especially like what you were just mentioning, Austin, really having that plan. Yeah. It's vital for flips. It's even more vital for birds. Like all of a sudden you have a hiccup and your plan is to exit into conventional money that can all go out the window. And it's always great to have that backup plan. If I can't refinance this burr, I can sell it at a nice profit and move on. So having all those contingencies in place is crucial. Just out of curiosity, did you ever run into issues where someone would do a burr and they can't move into conventional lending? And in that situation, what happens? Because I can imagine that happens from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Over leveraged again, right? Like a lot of the time they're they're still making their payments all the time, but their credit is poor because they have high leverage on all their accounts. Um, a lot of the time we love having a mortgage broker on board um, to be able to assist with those with those scenarios because they can work with you, find solutions to be able to get you better credit or whatever you might need. But yeah, it happens for sure. Uh, and we see it often, the strategy might just have to change at that point, right? Um, you might have to sell it, uh, be able to get your money out and move on to the next project, work on what you need to do to get it back to the banks. Yeah. And the yeah. good news is, I guess, if you're, if you're burying it, you've got 20% margin anyways, or hopefully at least like 10, 15% margin anyways, right? So they can always exit on that. Uh, so I, I'm curious on the mix side, right? Because we talked very early on about the mix and like, how it's structured and so on. But um, what's like the origins of like, if, if someone's out there and they're, you know, I, I personally think a lot of real estate investors, we go through all the flips, we go through the portfolio building, we do all this work, and then you want to liquidate everything at some point and just go, I'm just going to be a private lender, right? So what is the difference between the private lending and the mix side? Um, I'm just curious like what the origin stories of, are, of Calvert are, how you guys came to be and so on. Sounds good. So we became a MIC in 1982. Uh, so we will be, it'll be our 40th year operating as a MIC uh, next year. Um, up into really call it 15 years ago, we were basically a family office where uh, a, a few shareholders lent their money into the MIC and they, they grew it nice and, and gradually over that time. And then about 15 years ago, um, our, our CEO and, and my partner, Dean, uh, he became, um, he became president. And with that, the idea was to scale this. So they were doing an amazing job helping their clients, making really good money for the group, but he had a vision of helping more people. He had a vision of bringing on more shareholders. And since that time, we've really taken off 
in 2010, we were at a size of uh, 30 million. And today we're at 200 and like Garrett said, 215 million. Um, the goal has always been to find that, find that niche where we can really provide value that is unique to client. So with the short-term residential um, ideals, we don't have too many mix wanting to do that stuff. A lot of the mix want to place their funds, let them sit on the book for a long time and, um, and just make that, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine percent interest from that client. Uh, for a number of reasons, we like the short-term stuff. We believe that it reduces risk. When you're getting paid out all the time, uh, your risk is really reduced, especially in downward markets. Like we've been mostly lending into Alberta up until a year and a half ago. And the Alberta market goes in massive peaks and valleys, depending on our economy, which is oil and gas-based. So by being in short periods of times in a downward market, we're getting paid out all the time and lending into that new market. So Calvert is designed to do residential, short-term lending in major urban centers. We're really unique in the mix space in that most mix have a management company and your fund. The management company is owned by the principals and they're getting most of their income based on that management company. They're making that income risk-free of the fund. And the fund is where all the shareholders sit. Calvert is really unique because it is one entity that earns all the money. We pay ourselves, our, our, our employees, all our expenses through the fund. Then that money gets netted out to our shareholders. Um, management and employees own just over 10% of the fund. So from a shareholder perspective, there's no black box. They get to see every single cent we earn. And management is completely aligned lockstep with the shareholder because our success is their success. So we don't have a separate management company where we're making money risk-free and could be incentivized to take short-term risks for the benefit of that. So that's a real uniqueness of Calvert. As it relates to our shareholders, um, we, are, we are regulated by the securities commissions. So we accept money from investors in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Ontario. Um, we only accept investors who are deemed accredited um, because we do not have what is referred to as an offering memorandum. So we accredited investors are individuals who either earn over $200,000 a year as an individual, $300,000 as a household, or have a million dollars net financial assets. So most of our investors uh, have done really well for themselves and choose us as more of a fixed income product, alternative investment as part of their portfolio. As we're scaling, we're seeing more and more larger family offices want to invest along us. And we call them the very high net worth. So the 5 million plus investors uh, want to invest with us. And really, that's what selfishly we want. They really understand the risks that we're taking, can underwrite it, and, and are clear on the long-term strategy of their investment. But the, uh, the biggest difference between us being a MIC and you lending out your private money is just the administration portion. If you're investing in a MIC, your money's being diversified over right now with us, it's around 800 mortgages. Um, it's by being diversified over that and you're doing no management of anything. You're just earning the, the interest at the end of whatever we return. If you're doing private lending where you're just offering second mortgages or, or whatever you're doing, 
you're doing all the management, you're collecting payments, you're writing out your mortgage agreements and different things and working with lawyers. And yeah, it's a lot of work. Yep. Yeah. Fair. That's awesome. I, I think it just gives some people some clarity as to like what the difference is. Cause I've, I've invested in bank a couple of years ago. Um, it was okay. It was, it was a good rate to return. So I just wanted to understand really how someone goes about starting up the mix. That's pretty useful. That's dope. Um, so guys, generally at this point in the episode, we like to ask our guests uh, three kind of ra- like rapid round type questions, right? So uh, you guys could answer this personally or, you know, on behalf of Calvert as, a, as an entity, right? Um, but what are your goals like five years from now? What do you guys envision yourself doing? How is the business going to change? Um, tell me a little bit about where you see yourself. So I'll, I'll answer that for Calvert. Our goal is to continue to service real estate investors uh, throughout Canada. So in five years, um, we will be at a billion dollars. We will be operating in most major provinces in Canada with that focus still on helping uh, real estate investors. We see a ton of opportunity to rehabilitate current housing stock in major urban centers. People want to live in major urban centers. And there is a lot of old housing stock that should be attractive for the flip and burr clients. So we see a long runway for that in the next five years. So it's to grow our network in order to find more people that we can help achieve financial success through investing in real estate and bring our fund to that billion dollar number. And so just to clarify before Austin jumps in here, uh, you guys are only doing Ontario loans and Alberta loans right now, right? Like, cause like some of our listeners invest in like New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, East coast, West coast, stuff like that. But that's correct. Ontario and Alberta right now, we will be going to BC probably this time next year. The idea there is there's a lot of regulation and legal to attack when lending into a province and also a lot to learn as, as underwriters in a company. So we want to go after the larger provinces first. We're avoiding Quebec for the interim because it's just that much more to learn on the legal and regulatory side. So it'll be BC next, and then we'll continue to roll that out and and really be at the service of people that are doing um, short-term real estate investing. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Uh, second question here. If you guys want $10 million and you had seven days to spend it, how would you spend it? I assume private lending. <laughs> <laughs> seven days to spend it? You know, that's yep. pretty easy. I'd probably put almost all of it into Calvert. <laughs> that's probably what I'd I do. assume so. Good returns. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of know what's going to happen, but uh, that one's easy for me. Maybe a vacation <laughs> spot as well. Maybe I'd do some rentals and find a good contractor to do something for me and, and build that out. But for the most part, I'd be investing here. Yeah. I think. I'll do the same. Garrett, Garrett and I are both deal junkies. So not only would I dump it into here, um, I can like, we love what we do. So dump it in, continue to service clients and, and, and kick ass and grow this business. Awesome. So if you guys could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who'd you choose and why? It's a good question. You know what? My background. So my background is I was a college tennis player. Hmm. Um, so I, Personally, I've always looked up to Roger Federer. So that's the guy I would pick. Seems like the most down to earth, hardworking guy. Um, number one in the world, one number one in my mind still, but uh, I would pick that. Yeah, that's a good one. Dead or alive, I would have to say one of our current um, global business leaders, you know, like a, a Bill Gates or an Elon Musk. I think they're just, the way the world's moving so fast and the way that these leaders are thinking is just wild to me. So to be able to pick their brains and really 
understand where they think the globe that the, the world's going as it relates to things like green energy, as it relates to tech, as it relates to AI. Like we are moving on this crazy trajectory. And these guys that are so blessed to a have that knowledge and background and resources to think it through, and they're brilliant. So I would love to just sit there and pick their brains and get a better understanding of what our future holds for us. It's a good one too. I'm pretty biased, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, I guess that wraps up today's episode. Really appreciate you guys jumping on. We learned we there was nothing that we didn't talk about. We talked about flips, burrs, the risk of private lending, the history of Calvert. And thank you for all of the services that you do provide in Ontario, because I personally believe that it was an underserved market in terms of private loans prior to Calvert jumping in in the market. I'm seeing a lot more people take advantage of the opportunities in real estate and build their wealth because of the services that Calvert offers. So really appreciate that. If anyone wants to reach out to you guys to learn more or possibly get a deal funded, how could they do so? Reach out to anyone at our office. We have five underwriters, all terrific people. Um, yeah, you can reach out. I know our uh, you guys have an advertisement for us on your uh, wholesale deals as well. Um, and we, I just want to say, we truly enjoy working with you as well. And we think you're doing a terrific job in the market um, and serving people with some great opportunities to do those flips and burrs. Um, so forming a partnership with you two is, is terrific. Yeah. You guys are doing awesome work for your networks. You guys are kicking ass. You guys are providing real value. Um, you could also find us on uh, Instagram at Calvert Home Mortgage. The goal there is to produce a bunch of content that'll help real estate investors. Our website, Google Calvert, it's chmic.ca. Got a, got a lot of, again, content, case studies, flip analyzer, pre-approval. All that stuff is there for you. We're all on LinkedIn as well. So please feel free to reach out. And thank you guys for having us. Awesome. Everyone loves free resources. All of the links will be down below so you guys can reach out, check it out. And shameless plug here. If you guys use the code Ontario Property Deals, you'll get $500 off your lender fee. So I just got to slide that in there. Um, Anyways, um, Jesse Garrett, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you jumping on. Share the story of Calvert and your own personal experiences in real estate. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to see you guys break into different markets as well. And we'll definitely need to have you guys back on. Until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better.